All right. So I build this podcast as Trump's Troubles. And I want to make sure that I'm clear that I'm not just talking about the trouble he's in, but the trouble he's caused. And I talk about it a good bit. And I just want to do a quick recap because, uh, you know, it's a new season and I want to just get the basic principles out. And one of them is that I hit a lot on this podcast is that the culture war is, I think, from an integral perspective, I don't know if we want to say we want to embrace it, but we want to be friendlier to it. We don't want to have this idea that this shouldn't be happening. Uh, because we can see as evolutionaries that conflict, while destructive almost by definition, is also evolutionarily potent. And we can also see the deep programming in our psyches, our human psyches, that recoils from conflict. Because for most of human history, I mean, virtually all of human history, really, uh, it has been bloody. Conflict's, conflict has led to hot wars. And the thesis of, or my thesis at least, is that once people become fully modern, orange meme, if you know the maps, not just in terms of the exteriors, not just in terms of the ability to do technology and weaponry and so forth, but in terms of the interior, in terms of a modern consciousness, which has this dawning awareness that there's a better way to be with people than to fight with them. And that if we let everybody be subject to their own conscience, then we don't have to fight violently. And that's a big statement. And it's a big move evolutionarily because you wanna let everybody determine what's right and wrong in their own interiors. Yes, actually as long as they're not violent. And so that's saying a lot, but it's still not pretty. I mean, we fight economically, we fight with trade wars, we fight culturally with pronouns and on social media. And, you know, the fight goes on, but it's nonviolent and unlikely to become violent in any organized way in a, you know, in an adequately modern country because of the center of gravity of the consciousness. And of course, center of gravity means that there's still pre-modern people who would like to fight with real weapons. Uh, and there are post-modern people, we're talking center of gravity here, you know, sort of a uh, distribution. The pre-modern people, especially the violent ones, are constrained by a large consensus that violence isn't the way. And that is a developmental move. And there's a stability to developmental moves. Uh, it's a way of seeing the world. It, you can't unsee it once you see it. And it becomes, you know, not just a worldview, but a new world that we live in. And to the degree that that's true, and I think it is, uh, ad again, adequately, uh, we could put our trust in it. And, you know, at least tentatively. And as, as I like to think about it, we begin to trust emergence more and ideology less. And we trust emergence more and institutions less. And that helps us to relax our aversion to the fighting, to the, to the you know, the, the culture war fighting. 
and begin to consciously look for its more fruitful aspects. Okay, so one more thing in terms of reminding, and that is that the culture war is being fought among three developmental stages, three worldviews. The traditionalists, that's the God and country people, the modernists, who are the secular, rational people, keep the trains running, and the postmodernists, who are the multicultural greens. And in America, at this stage of the game in the United States, uh, the distribution is roughly a third, a third, a third. It's, it's easy enough. It's a good back pocket number. Now, there's also some dawning integral uh, that's coming out of postmodern and modern. And there's also some pre-traditional, uh, what we call the warrior stage. And those are the people who really do just like to fight. And that's where Trump is. That's the heart of Trump. And I've made that case in a number of podcasts. And so I'm just going to put that on the table. And so, um, you know, we notice that Trump is, in, ter in terms of important self-sense and where he lives in his worldview, he's a warrior. I mean, he likes to win, as he says, but he also just likes to fight. He's win, he's won, he's lost, and he just keeps fighting. Most of the supporters are traditional and modern, but they have signed up with him because he is fighting their bigger enemy. He's, he's the devil they know, uh, but he's fighting their bigger enemy, which is, you know, to the degree that their hearts are traditional, the God and country. Uh, they're averse to the great gift of modernity, which is globalization in the, in the economic. Also secularism. They're not crazy about that either. And post-modernity, you know, multiculturalism, this global consciousness, all of that is, you know, not grokkable at traditional. And so this is the, you know, this is the terrain of the culture war. I want to just finish this thought by playing a little bit of video, which shows what I think is a new emergent in terms of not necessarily Trump's behavior, but in our processing of it. And so I'm going to go to, first of all, this snippet that I think you've probably seen, but it, it's a good transmission, I guess, of a Trump rally. This is him in Minneapolis the other night. Oh, and by the way, this is Trump talking about Joe Biden. Father was never considered smart. He was never considered a good senator. He was only a good vice president because he understood how to kiss Barack Obama's ass. All right. Uh, that's a new blow in terms of the languaging of a president in public. Uh, but it's nothing that people on all sides of the spectrum don't say about politics and politicians. That's a new level of impropriety. But we can also see developmentally that, you know, if we compare ourselves to the Victorians, impropriety is actually a marker of progress. It, it, again, if it doesn't, as long as it doesn't go violent, that's always the, the rub here. So uh, here next, we're going to show uh, a couple scenes from the Fox show called The Five, which is a talk show they do with some of their younger people in the afternoon. And just remember, I watch Fox so you don't have to, but here it is. 
And this is Juan Williams. This is their resident liberal. And he, he transmits a very powerful uh, visceral repulsion at this that I think is notable. Here we go. Oh, and it's fun. I, I, I want to make sure I share it because you can see the opening if you're watching this on video. Uh, this is the response of Jesse Waters to that Trump clip, who is a firebrand young cultural conservative, and his Juan, W-A-N, smile as he asks Juan, the liberal, what he thinks. And here it is. I'm just so heartbroken for America that that's the president, and that's the way he talks. It's in front of our kids. I don't even want to repeat what he just said. I mean, that, you know, he had his lips adhered to some, I mean, it's just, it's just unbelievable. All right. So that's Wad Williams. And now we're going to go to Greg Gutfeld. Here's Greg Gutfeld responding to Juan Williams and this sort of liberal heartbreak. I am, I find it interesting when people are shocked by Donald Trump. It's three years, okay? That's a Trump rally. You got to get over it. I mean, you're like the guy that opens up the fridge, knows that the milk is sour, and you still sniff it. And you go, oh my God, the milk is sour. That's Trump is. All right. So that's, I think that shows a lot of how the uh, non-red or non-warrior level conservatives, the traditionalists and even modernists who support Trump, uh, they see him, you know, they think they see that he's a pig and, you know, he just compares him to sour, to sour milk and yet they go with him. And is that a hypocrisy? Yes. But I, I often wonder if the tables were turned, what liberals would, how liberals would feel about a China breaking president who was kicking ass and taking names in the cause of climate and social justice and redistribution and equality and all of the things that warm our liberal hearts. Uh, it's a good thought experiment, at least, to help explain, you know, and, and get a feel for the Trump people so that we can, you know, as integralists, not be quite so gripped by the conflict and have a bigger view that includes the truth of both sides or all sides. Not their weaknesses, but their, their, their core truth. And so here's Greg Gutfeld again. That's Trump is because what the left always wanted, they always wanted a revolutionary, their American version of Fidel, their American version of Che. They always wanted that in a real weird way. They thought Obama would be that. How hilarious is it that the revolutionary is a Republican talk show host, right? Yeah. So, you know, they know who they're dealing with. We're going to hear now from Derek. Oh, there you are. Yeah. Hey. Hey. I, I got to run out the door here in about five, 10 minutes, but I, I'm glad I got a chance to chat with you. I love the show. Love what uh -huh. you're doing. I love that this is regular. How can I listen to this afterwards, by the way? Well, I edit and we'll post them on the Daily Evolver site. Oh, great. Fantastic. Yeah. You'll have it on the podcast. Fantastic. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. My question for you, Jeff, is um, the Enneagram and stage development. You're talking Trump in red a lot of the time. A lot of people, Enneagram, he's an eight. Strong, direct, you know, bold, loves conflict. How do you resolve the two there? You know, you're speaking a lot about in red. 
I'm not hearing you talk so much in the Enneagram language at the same time. And I'm, I'm looking at him a lot of the time more through that lens. And I'm yeah. curious. I yeah. bring the two together in integral. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great question. And yeah, I think he's an eight. I think he's um, also has qualities of a three. I've heard people in the integral world describe him that way. Uh, what's interesting is that what an eight uh, evolves into if they're healthy, and that is a two. And so they become caring and about the collective. And I actually think that there's a dimension of Trump that, you know, it's still a red version of this. So it's a big daddy benevolence kind of thing where he he's in touch with the fact that he's the president of the United States and he is fighting not just for himself. We all know that he's fighting for himself, but also he's fighting for, you know, a bigger cause. And I'm not even sure that he hasn't, you know, when we talk about the move from red to blue, amber, or whatever color we want to call it, but traditionalism, that there, at that point, God comes online. A transcendent God comes online at that stage. And I think Trump maybe even has a little bit of religion. He may believe himself that he is a tool of God. He hears that a lot from the evangelicals. Uh, so I think that it's a, it's a good description, and I think it's a good insight into Trump. So let me see. Um, there's another thing I wanted to play uh, because I, I do see a new development in the culture war that at least now we all know we're fighting. We argue about uh, propriety. We argue about dignity. We argue about uh, the economics. We argue about the constitution and the rules and the traditions. And we all have our different versions of those. But we're seeing through that now. And we're seeing that actually there's a part of politics that is happening on this previously subterranean level, this pre-traditional level, where it's just power. It's just about power. And Trump has got us there. And I'm not sure that's necessarily a bad thing. I think that's actually what happens as we clarify a lot of the calcified, overdetermined thinking of our sort of political class, if you will, and, and all of us, all of us modernists and postmodernists, that this part is still there. And so here, here's, here's a comment from one of the commentators, I'm forgetting his name, but he's on the S.E. Cup show. It's a CNN show on weekends. And he's talking about Shepard Smith leaving as the daytime anchor of Fox News because he was drummed out by Trump, essentially. Trump um, criticized him because he had the temerity to criticize Trump. Not only did he criticize him, but he criticized him on Fox, which for Trump, that's my network. You know, these are my people. And what are you doing? So Trump's happy that Shep Smith is gone, but here's sort of a, 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 view, a more nuanced view here. 
Although I will say, with Shep Smith's departure, someone like Chris Wallace now is is in the control position because if he walks out the right. door, Fox can't pretend at all mm. that they're a fair and balanced, neutral mm-hmm. news gathering organization. Mm-hmm. So, so the fact that one anchor of the news division one has gone you. out the door gives yeah. the others a little more power to say, mm. "Hey, if I leave, you guys are just Newsmax light." So. Uh, you know, will Fox News try to maintain a patina of being fair and balanced with Chris Wallace? Chris Wallace is the other sort of, uh, you know, big news. There's a, there's a number of real news people at Fox, but he has the Sunday show, very influential show. And um, Trump would be thrilled to have uh, somebody on that show pounding his agenda. So we'll see. This is This is in real time watching some of these institutions and ideologies of fairness, at least, break down into the more raw power. And so I've, you know, been talking about that and and thinking about that for a long time. And I've talked about it on podcasts for a long time. And I loved that um, there was an article here in the New York Times on Sunday uh, called The Fight Club President. And this is, it's written by Daniel McCarthy, and he is the editor of Modern Age, a conservative quarterly. So I'm always, you know, instantly interested in the New York Times running a conservative, because it's going to be a thoughtful conservative. It's going to be somebody who's not just, you know, boring me with, you know, ideology. So here's what he's talking about. He's talking about this quality of Trump. Uh, just going for the red and, you know, not worried about the ideologies. So anyway, um, let's see. As he says, Mr. Trump is not resorting to ideological niceties. He's placing a constitutional struggle in its rawest, deepest psychological context. Rival persons, rival powers, incompatible interests, and passionate self-defense. He goes on. He writes, these feelings are the roots of a greater part of politics than rationalists. And these rationalists are modernists and above. This is a bigger part of politics than rationalists dare admit. So true. I didn't admit it. I didn't think it until Trump. Passions and interests give rise to ideologies more than ideologies arise from abstract reason. And that's something that we have all come to realize uh, through basically psychological investigation is that our heads follow our hearts. And I would actually say that our ideologies and our thoughts basically follow our worldview, which, you know, is our world space. It's the world we live in. And the traditional world, modern world, and postmodern world are three different worlds. It's amazing we get along at all. Uh, but there we have it. This, and, it's, and we're getting clarity about that, which is essential for, you know, a fruitful fight. Uh, let's see. So, you know, he's talking about the, you know, hypocrisy both ways of the now the Republicans arguing for executive privilege, where in Obama, it was all about Benghazi. And, you know, so the back and forth of that, and people are seeing the thin gruel of these arguments and seeing what's really going on, which is this, you know, subterranean wrestling match. 
And he says he's not an ideological president in the sense of having policy formulas ready to implement. He's instead a catalyst of conflict with the right wing's opponents. Another thought I think is absolutely true in the New York Times, no less. He says, Mr. Trump has done his part to widen the range of what can be discussed at the highest level of politics. It's true. This has been a necessary corrective to the tendency of the country's political class to close ranks and merge minds. So true. Okay. And then, again, in terms of uh, moving the culture war along, he says, and he closes with this, impeachment sharpens the lines that have been drawn in the Trump era between left and right, the politics of pretense, and the politics of rivalry. As useful as that may be in awakening some Americans to unpleasant realities, and much as others may enjoy the conflict itself for its clarifying loyalties, the danger is that precedents too powerful for the good of the country will be set down. And then he ends with this. Not every conflict is best brought out into the open where the strength or weakness of either side is unmistakable. If the Constitution needs a certain spirit of conflict, it also needs a modicum of uncertainty about which powers can win. But that was good. And, um, you know, right on. So now I want to share just some of the sort of craziness that is online here in this emerging and evolving culture war. And this is a speech that got a lot of attention by Bill Barr, who is the attorney general. And he's the one who met with Rupert Murdoch the night before Shepard Smith resigned. And, you know, he's fighting Trump's battle. Uh, and he sees it very much as a culture war. And this is a speech he did at Notre Dame, which is a Catholic university. And uh, it, was, it was at their law school, I believe. And here he describes the sort of intellectual kernel of where conservatives are coming from. And the whole speech is actually worth looking up and reading. It's easy enough to find. But here's a piece um, of the actual video. This is Bill Barr, the Attorney General. Among the militant secularists are many so-called progressives. But where is the progress? We are told we are living in a post-Christian era. But what has replaced the Judeo-Christian moral system? What is it that can fill the spiritual void in the hearts of the individual person? And what is the system of values that can sustain human social life? The fact is that no secular creed has emerged capable of performing the role of religion. This is not decay. This is organized destruction. Secularists and their allies have marshaled all the forces of mass communication, popular culture, the entertainment industry, and academia in an unremitting assault on religion and traditional values. All right. So uh, that's Bill Barr. And 
I, I think that's really interesting and again clarifying. I mean, I I, I agree with his facts. The uh, postmodernists, particularly, are very contemptuous of traditional values. These are never taken seriously, patriotism and um, and religion. The clarity is. It's. I always think of what Scott Peck, who wrote *The Road Less Traveled*, talked about in his community development thinking when he wrote books on that. And he talked about how people move from pseudo community to conflict. And we all think we agree until we scratch the surface and we get to know each other better. And then there's conflict that comes up. And the conflict is often unresolvable because you're two different people operating in two different worlds and worlds collide. This is evolutionarily potent, but painful. And it often happens in marriages. You know, we have our love phase and then we have, well, reality, Jew again, every morning for the rest of my life, really. Um, you get people who are now realizing how different they are. And, you know, they're actually in a struggle for supremacy. We see that in the culture and we see that in marriages and friendships and we see that in all levels of human relations. And as Scott Peck says, once you sort of realize that you're not going to win the conflict, then there's a period of, I give up. I give up. Emptiness, he calls it, where we just have to let go of the idea that our worldview is going to be ascendant and, is, and is, we're going to be able to colonize our world with it. We actually have to accommodate this other person and their toothpaste and it's awful and how they chew. And, and this is where we are. And so there's an emptiness that comes uh, before the final stage that he maps out, which is authentic community. And I love that. And, uh, you know, Keith Witt and I were talking because he's a psychotherapist. And we were talking about this in terms of couples therapy. And that one of the sort of bulwarks of couples therapy is that we have to articulate the position of our opposing partner to their satisfaction. Not just our version of it, but we have to articulate it to them so that they know that we understood. And until you do, you gotta keep trying. And I think there's, there's a lot of truth in that. And there's a lot of guidance for us in that, in terms of what we can do and ought to be doing culturally. So, there. Oh, there was one other point I was gonna make. And just the, you know, the perversity of life that Donald Trump would be the bulwark against the degradation of traditional values is just too rich to contemplate. And yet, Bill, there's Bill Barr arguing for Judeo-Christian values, and his um, standard bearer is Donald Trump, you know, standing against the further decline of the culture. And of course, I would point out, you know, I, I 
sometimes get criticized because I'm harder on the left than I am on the right. And I don't think that's really true. Maybe I talk more about the the limits of the left because most of us are leftists and it's more interesting. And it's well established what the downside of the God and country worldview is. And I would point that out to Bill Barr here, that historically the Judeo-Christian values have not necessarily translated into great cultures. I mean, great in a certain way, sometimes militaristically and so forth. And, you know, the Catholic Church did manage to build St. Peter's out of the melted idols of the previous tribes that they conquered. But as countries and cultures become more secular, they actually do become less warlike, less racist, less oppressive, less unequal. And there's the progress. You say, where's the progress, Bill? That's where the progress is. Now, it's true that they have also become more licentious. They lose some dignity and propriety. And there are downsides in terms of breakdown of family and alienation and, um, you know, all of the things that come from losing your religion. You know, the, the, the catastrophe of human emergence is well mapped historically. And it's, as I often say, it's beautiful, but it's sure as hell not pretty. But there is, you ask where the progress is, it's it's there. So this is the sort of chink in the armor of uh, Judeo-Christian ideology, morality, say that it's essential in, um, you know, they got a, they have a burden of proof that I don't think they clear. All right. Well, if there are no more questions or, oh, here's Loring. There you are. Hi. Hey, man. Love your, love your new program. Oh, thanks, man. There's a professor Wilkinson who, who's, he's an American, but he lives in Germany. So he claims to be German. And he's, he says that we're run by a bully system, that the, it begins with our days in school and, you know, sit down, shut up, and we're going to tell you what to do. And that continues on, and we are controlled by a group of rules and bullies who enforce them. And I would say then that the, uh, the Trumpster is the bully-in-chief. And I want to run this by you and see what you uh, think about that. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, there, and, and, and bullying is the currency of red, basically. And, uh, and even in traditionalism, it continues where we have um, schools where your job is to sit down and shut up, where bullying is tolerated and it's a boys will be boys or kids will be kids kind of thing. And that is changing radically. And that's led by this realization from progressives of just how damaging that is and just how fundamentally not, you know, healthy that that is, particularly in children. And so bullying has become a big deal. And that's actually not just in progressivism. That there's a great consensus around let's stop kids from bullying each other. You know, for a kid, that's developmentally at least understandable. 
And, you know, we want to civilize, get kids to move into higher levels earlier because then they'll move further and we can actually see that happening. But again, Trump is this, in a way, throwback. He has the heart of a red bully. And he has enough of the other, you know, stages. He has an understanding of traditionalism, too. Again, I'm not sure that there isn't part of him that's moving into it and seeing this sort of transcendent. I mean, it actually scares me that Trump would think that God is on his side. But I think that may be happening. Uh, He certainly understands orange. He can work in the capitalist technocratic system. And, you know, he was a New York, at least passed as a New York liberal for a lot of years. And um, at least he understands green. He's sort of a dark spiral wizard in a way. But he sure knows how to go red. But I don't know how, you know, just calling somebody stupid seems to be. (laughs) It's like being called poo-poo head by a four-year-old you know, at some point. And I'm hoping that America begins to see that and just gets bored of it. You know, boredom, I often point out, is one of the great engines of evolution. And uh, I think Trump may have the danger of becoming boring to enough people that it matters. All right, we're going to go to Blake here. And there you are, Blake. Hey, man. I I, uh, I noticed, you know, when you think about a cell kind of having to pull apart before it, you know, ends up going to the next stage and feeling what you were mentioning with um, that kind of necessary clarification or of division and kind of revealing the underlying uh, fight that's going on over just pure power. And I wondered just in the process of then the next step of coming back together, I know it's hard to predict the future, but you know, with with kind of a bipartisan's condemnation of Trump's um, actions in Syria, I just wondered, it was interesting to me that that was a conflict, again, like a war, these things that have pulled us together in the past, but trying to find common ground, you know, as Americans, or, you know, first and foremost. And I just wondered your your thoughts maybe on what, what that could look like or what possible things could could be more of a, a, a uniting point. And, uh, you know, because I, I think, green and and uh, orange might be looking at that and saying oh well you know for the sake of the world and the peace we want to keep stability in the area and that's their why they're for it and then the <laughs> you know maybe the the amber or red would be oh they're our enemy we just gave power to our enemy you know so different goals but kind of you know ending up on the same yep. issue. so just curious your thoughts yep. on Yeah, I think that, you know, one of the ways we can see that is just by stepping back and holding a bigger piece of history. And to see that the era where the United States was the policeman of the world, and that that was certainly true after World War II, where we were the only modern economy that was really intact. And, you know, I think it speaks well of America that we didn't go in as conquerors. We went in and try to, you know, bring the Japan and Germany and uh, to help the Marshall Plan and help the rest of the world become modern so that we could trade with you. And that in the process of doing that, we bestrode the world militarily. So we had this big economy and we had, uh, you know, enough traditionalists. We actually weren't defeated. We didn't have any war on our shores. So we still had enough military faith in military that 
uh, you know, we weren't completely over it like the people in Germany and Japan, which, you know, really basically catapulted into post-modernity because of that. Uh, so, um, you know, we have, what do we have? Troops in 40 plus countries now. And there's a way in which Trump's right about, you know, you people figure it out. And the chaos of Trump is, you know, inexcusable, but there's an intelligence to it. And there is that, that is, that's going to be, in my opinion, a consensus that is going to be this post left and right. Some of the fruits of what will come out of the integration of this ever clarifying culture war is America's new place in the world. You know, all right, well, what fun. Thank you so much for listening to The Daily Evolver, and we'll see you next time. Bye.